The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. And I had a root canal on Wednesday, and my face still hurts. So I'm going to try to keep this intro short. Uh, it's potentially a large week here around these parts for Nebraska athletics. By the time you're listening to this, uh, the women's basketball program will have opened Big Ten play against Illinois. The men's basketball program either will be close to tipping off against Creighton or just finished a Friday night game against Creighton. Uh, and the, the Husker football program will be kicking off shortly against Minnesota. You should be listening to this before Saturday's kick. If not, then we need to talk. And uh, one of the ways that we can connect is via email. Um, this this podcast has its own email address associated with it that I've been terrible about plugging every week. Um, if you've got suggestions, comments, critiques, hopes, etc., um, that you'd like to share, you can you can email them to me at tvcpod at hailvarsity.com. Hopefully, you've already subscribed to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Uh, you can find us anywhere uh, you regularly get podcasts. Um, if you so choose, please hit that subscribe button and please hit the, the fifth star from the right. Or f- No, it would be fifth star from the left. Yeah, because you're going from the left to the right. Fifth star. Hit the fifth star. Wherever it is, hit the fifth star. Always appreciate that stuff. Uh, and I especially appreciate you guys that listen to this every week. Joining me in a little bit will be Meg Ryan from the Star Tribune in Minnesota. Um, Meg covers the Gophers program out there, and she was kind enough to accept an invite back to the podcast. We had her on last year to preview the game. Um, hopefully this one is is a little more competitive than than that one was. If, if you're a big Red fan, you're, you're probably thinking it has the potential to be. Uh, that defense was much better than this defense, talking about Minnesota. Uh, no one in the Big Ten is worse right now at stopping the run on a per-play basis than this Gopher team. And the distance between them, I wrote about this. I'm trying to remember the numbers specifically. Um, I think they're pushing nearly seven yards per run allowed. It's it's like 6.89, something like that. Um, the difference between them in last place in the conference and 13th place Maryland is nearly identical to the difference between 13th place Maryland and first place Wisconsin. Um, I, I think the, the difference... In the two differences is like a couple hundredths of a point. It's almost identical. These guys are bad, uh, and, and they're bad in a national context too at stopping the run. Um, so from Nebraska's point of view, it, it it couldn't really have been a better better time to get Dedrick Mills back and, and get him a test run, so to speak, against Purdue. Um, he had 60 yards and a score in that game, which was his first back since November 14th. Um, this offense really kind of seems like it's it's turning a corner from an efficiency standpoint over the last couple of weeks. Um, things are, are just clicking. Uh, and and you know, my biggest issue with with the offense against Iowa was the offensive line play, and that one was much better. Um, that area was much better against Purdue. Adrian Martinez has been much better uh, in, in ways that, that 
don't really pop statistically. He's just like, he's hitting his targets. Uh, he's a little bit quicker with everything that he's doing. You look at the accuracy, um, I, I think he's something like 42 of 50 on pass attempts in his last two starts, and, and that's making a big difference. Um, but but you, you see it in screens, bubbles, swings out to the perimeter. A guy like Wandale is getting the ball in stride, and, and it's put right into his hands as opposed to having to adjust and contort their body. And, and when you're talking about timing plays, when you're talking about rhythm plays, plays that, you know, you have a numbers advantage for a brief moment and you really have to hit and take advantage of that. Um, those, you know, seconds where, where you're not having to adjust and contort your body and instead you're able to catch the ball and stride and continue running, those make a load of a difference in terms of gaining three yards versus maybe gaining 13. And and Cam Jurgens was tremendous against Purdue. Um, we didn't mention his name once all game long and, and you hope that that Iowa game and, and the struggles there were, were a turning point for him. Xavier Betts is sort of rounding into form as a receiver. Austin Allen and Travis Vokalek have have solidified themselves at the top of the tight end room. Uh, they've been really good lately in, in both facets of the game, both blocking and receiving. Um, Nebraska's at its best. Uh, and I wrote about this for my end-of-the-week column last Sunday. Um, Nebraska's at, at its best as a team that, that runs to set up the other stuff. And you can really look at the first drive of the second half as maybe about as illustrative a drive as we've seen in quite some time of what this offense can be when it's operating at 100%. Um, they really went right through Purdue, and they finished with a walk-in untouched score for Martinez uh, just outside the goal line. Um, so you have all of that. You know, you kind of, maybe maybe coalescing is, is not the right word to use right now. We want to see them do it a couple of times in a row and put some consistency with it. Um, but certainly trending in the right direction. And then you get Minnesota this week. The Gophers will be shorthanded. They haven't been good against the run at all this season. And Nebraska will want to keep Minnesota's offense off the field as much as possible because those guys have maybe one of the best running backs in the country on their side. Mo Ibrahim leads the Big Ten in rushing. And he's, I mean, like he's on pace for a thousand yard season if they play seven games. He's got, I think it's 815, 15 or 17 He's got more than 800 yards, and he's only played five games. Dude's been good. Nebraska's offense will need to be better. Um, so when I say this can potentially be a large week for Nebraska, I say that for this reason. The setup for a win is there. Can Nebraska stack two of them? Can it put forth back-to-back really solid performances across the board? Can it respond well on the heels of a win? It didn't last time. Yeah, way better. Absolutely way better. Um, last last uh, about three weeks, um, I've really seen some growth on our team. Um, their mindset, their preparation, their execution. Um, I'm, I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing right now and the attitude our guys have. If so, the Huskers are suddenly three and four. Um, and they've got a shot a puncher's chance at 4-4 four and four, if you add in the plus-one game uh, that, that will be played some someplace against someone on December 19th. And then you add in a bowl game, maybe? Maybe? And Nebraska actually has a not-so-unrealistic path to, to a winning season for the first time since 2016. 
You obviously have lots of work to get there, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But considering three weeks ago, I had this team left for dead following uh, what what was really a, a not-so-good showing against Illinois, um, you know, that's a big credit to this locker room. Those guys want to fight, and they believe in their coach, uh, which, by the way, is why all that Scott Frost is on the hot seat nonsense from national people over the last however many days or weeks was just utter um, We'll see. We'll see if they can get there. Minnesota certainly isn't going to roll over, though. Nebraska's going to have to earn it. Um, I, I think that uh, that this Minnesota team will, will be hungry, considering they haven't played since November 20th. So to that end, let's bring in this week's guest. Okay, let's bring in Meg Ryan from the Star Tribune out in Minneapolis. Meg, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. We had you on last year to preview uh, what was not a very competitive game. So appreciate you coming back. Hopefully we, hopefully we have a more competitive game this time around. Well, we'll see. I think the Gophers might disappoint people there, <laughs> but, but maybe. Who's to say? Well, uh, well, let's get to that in a second. Will you be in Lincoln this weekend or are you going to be covering remotely? I am not. I'm going to be covering remotely. I made a decision not to, not to travel this year because of the, the bid. So it's kind of sad, but I think it's for the best. And, you know, somehow the game will get on without me. That's the move. Um, I've been to, so we kind of split traveling up between our staff. So like I've only been to one road game this season for Nebraska. Mm. Um, and I've kind of gotten, gotten used to watching the game from my home office and kind of like being able to be in sweatpants instead of <laughs> instead of like business casual stuff or whatever. Um, so it'll be, it'll definitely be an adjustment next year or, you know, whenever um, when we all have to be back in, in the press box. Um, I know COVID stuff. Let's uh, let's kind of just talk about where Minnesota's at. Um, they haven't played since, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's November 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, the last two games have been canceled. PJ Fleck had a press conference on Monday where he kind of laid out what their what their situation is. For our listeners, can you just kind of like quickly recap kind of what's going on with Minnesota and and what the situation looks like for them this week as they've been practicing and preparing for Nebraska? Yeah, well, it started really right before that um, Purdue game on November 20th, which was their last game. They were missing 22 players for that game. And it wasn't all from coronavirus. Some of, half of it was injuries and about half of it was COVID. But of that half that was COVID, a couple of those were guys that had pe- tested positive, you know, several weeks ago, but were still sitting out that 21 days for the Big Ten policy. So there was kind of, there was clearly an uptick of COVID cases, but they wouldn't tell us how many. We didn't really know. Um, and then that, that they played the game and did the best they could while missing some important people, like, you know, starting defensive end boy, Mafe was one of the guys that they were without. Um, and then they, they came back on Monday, PJ Fleck did a press conference and said, oh yeah, we're testing right now and we'll see. And <laughs> I asked him a bunch of questions about COVID because I was like, I think you guys might have a problem here. And it's like, oh, he was trying to like make sure people didn't panic, but like clearly panicking was, was totally within the realm of possibility. So they, they ended up later that night, later that Monday night, canceling team activities. And they said it was just for a day as they waited for those confirmatory PCR tests from the, from the daily antigen test. But then they came back the next day and, and canceled it for, for real um, indefinitely. 
And then you just, like, I think that first update, they said they had 15 cases since November 19th, uh, which is the day before the Purdue game. And then it kind of steadily grew. It peaked at 49, um, 49 cases since that uh, Purdue game, uh, which is the most in, in the Big Ten. I think, you know, I think Wisconsin's and Maryland's peaked at 30. We're not really sure what the exact numbers for Michigan, Ohio State, because they won't really stay. Um, but it got it got way up there. And, um, you know, they were out for, obviously, the Wisconsin game. They had to call off the, the Northwestern game. Um, and then they did come back this week and have been preparing as usual. I think they returned to their light acclimatization, whatever that word is. They returned to that practice on um, last Wednesday and kind of were doing a slow ramp-up period until they finally, on Sunday, were able to have an actual full practice. And then they've been, you know, having their regular game week since then. So, um, it seems good. I, the last update we heard testing-wise was on Monday, this past Monday. PJ said that they had two positive tests in the last seven days, but none since, I think, what was it, December 3rd or something like that? I could be butchering that date. Um, maybe it was December 7th. But it was something where they, in the past seven days, they'd only had two, and then, and then the past maybe five days, they'd had none um, that had tested positive. So clearly it's been in, in a steep decline from where it was. Um, so they seem to be coming out of it, but the, the what it what is going to be interesting about this Nebraska game is who are they going to be missing? Because at the peak there was I think 21 players um, who had tested positive, you know, since November 19th. So uh, depending on who those players are, which they haven't released, obviously the, the names of any of those guys, um, they could be missing some significant people or a lot of people. So it will be very interesting to see what kind of team they field on Saturday. That was going to be my next question was, do you, do you have any kind of inkling as to um, like who's going to be, who's going to be out? Like, is it going to be significant pieces? Is, is there anything that people can take away from maybe um, that November 19th game and who was there and who wasn't to try to piece together kind of what their roster will look like on Saturday? Well, it's hard because from the November 19th game, if you count that as game one, it's usually three games is the 21 days. So those three games would have been the Purdue game, the Wisconsin game, the Northwestern game, and then they would have been back for this. So you can't even really go off of who had it possibly against Purdue because those guys technically could come back uh, for this game. So it's really the people that tested positive in the interim. I mean, I can, I can tell you from things that I've pieced together of like, Here's the, for the media, they had Tanner Morgan, uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, uh, Phil Howard. Uh, I'm missing somebody. Uh, I think maybe somebody else. But they had they had at least those three guys. Oh, Mariano Sorimari, and he talked. Like they had a couple of players talk to the media this week. It would be extreme mind games if one of those guys had COVID and wasn't going to play, but they still had him talk. I mean, maybe they would. That would be you know, I actually would have to respect that that level of. Uh, that level of tomfoolery if they were to do that. But I would assume that all those guys are good. So those are some big names, you know, Mohamed Ibrahim and, uh, and Tanner Morgan are probably your big guns on offense that it would be pretty bad if they weren't there. So that's good. Frost, Frost um, definitely employs some gamesmanship when it comes to uh, <laughs> what's happening with his roster week in and week out. So if PJ Fleck decided to return the favor, I think that would be pretty respected. Oh, yeah, I guess I, I would not, great and I would really be upset about that but you know whatever they do what they're gonna do I mean the other thing I know is like there was a couple of players like Benjamin St. Juice starting cornerback 
um, had been out for like about two or three games. I think he had been out since the Iowa game um, because of COVID. So he would have come back. Um, so he should probably be back. I think there's another defensive lineman that presumed COVID because we don't know, but he missed like, exactly three games. So he, Keontae Shad, he might be back. So there are some pieces they might get that might be coming back. Um, but it just depends on who else has gone out in that time. And that's not really something we're sure of yet. Well, let's talk about a guy that, that um, you mentioned in the, he's probably going to be there camp and that, and that would be good for Minnesota. That's Muhammad Ibrahim. Um, Have you been surprised by his play this year? No, I actually haven't been surprised. Um, I've been a fan of Mo's for a while. I mean, I, I only took over the beat last year. That was my first season on Gophers football, but Mo was one of the first players that I actually met um, and interviewed and it was at big 10 media days and he like, didn't know who I was and I didn't really know who he was. And <laughs> we kind of like muddled through this interview, but um, he's, he's been such a great guy to kind of get to know ever since. And I think something that I, I heard about him, but then I got to witness in, in firsthand last year was um, people always talk about like, uh, he is such a determined runner. Um And what I mean by that is like, I think there's a lot of rushers who, you know, get the ball, they get contact and it's like, Oh, it's over. And they kind of fall over. It's done. But Mo has never been one to like, you know, not push through things. So even though he's not the tallest guy, he's not the biggest guy. um, He gets a ton of yards after contact. And I think that that's so um, it's so crucial to, to, to this team, this Gophers team is that they need every little inch they can get. And he gives that to them. Um, He can kind of turn nothing into something in that way. Uh, so I've always been so impressed by how physical he is and how, how much extra yardage he's able to get, even in a not ideal situation, or even with, you know, the defensive or linebackers closing in on him, he still finds a way to like, kind of get you a couple of extra inches, which, which is good. Um, and I just think his story is great. I mean, he's just one of those guys that nobody really expected a lot from. And, you know, as a, as a, um, as a freshman, a redshirt freshman, he kind of was thrust into the starting role in 2018 because uh, Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks got injured, and that wasn't something he was expecting to do, but he kind of, you know, he did it because he had to, and he did very well. Um, but then last year when those two guys were back, he very graciously, you know, took a step back and kind of let Rodney have his 1,000-yard rushing, uh, you know, season as a, as a senior, a six-year senior, actually. So he, he was very gracious about that. And never once was it kind of like, oh, this sucks. Like I have to be in the background again. It's like he really respected that Rodney and Shannon were mentors to him and helped him. Um, and he wanted them to have that moment. And now he's back in the number one. And he's kind of becoming that mentor to those younger backs behind him now. He's kind of becoming the, the Rodney Smith to them that Rodney Smith was to him. So I think he's a great guy. And, uh, you know, I, if any, he's been probably the only good bright spot about watching this team this year. Uh, and it couldn't have happened to a to a better person. I do wish his team was better around him, <laughs> but I'm glad that I'm glad that he's having a good year at least. Yeah, he's having a great year. Um, almost 800 or over 800 yards in in only five games. I mean, he's pushing a thousand yard season in maybe six seven games that they get to play, which would be um, something remarkable. And and you look at the way that he's done it, kind of in tandem with their passing game. Their passing game is weird. Um, so it and just from my perspective looking at the numbers so I'm curious what you've kind of thought about it this season Tanner Morgan in 2019 was the best passer in the Big 10 not named Justin Fields um this season like if you just look at the basic numbers um it looks like he's taken a step back a little bit completion percentage is under 60% 
Um, he led the league in yards per pass last year at over 10 a game or 10 per throw. Um, this year, it's down to 8.1. The touchdown interception ratio is one to one compared to last year, where it was at like 4.3 to one through 30 touchdowns and only seven picks. Um, but if you if you kind of dig in and look at some of the advanced numbers, like on passing downs, they have one of the best success rates in the country um, and, and a good, not great explosiveness rating. Um, how, how would you... How would you assess Tanner's play this season and, and the passing game as a whole? Yeah, well, I think first it's it's really hard to compare Tanner this year to last year for a couple of reasons. One of which is that they've only played what five games so far, and like obviously last year they had um, you know they were eleven and two, so he had a lot more uh, time to build up a resume. This year it's like he, he, those first couple of games they had were bad, and it's really kind of heavily influencing kind of what his his stats look like, which is not to say that he's like, you know, been exactly as good as he was last year. He hasn't. But the other big change from last year is, is the receivers he's working with. Like, I think people really didn't fully appreciate how good Tyler Johnson was. Like I know even last year, he was kind of getting upstaged by Rashad Bateman and um, you know, Rashad's this kind of big, great draft pick. And, you know, Tyler was good. He's going to go to the NFL, but oh, Rashad, like he's really good. I mean, Tyler was very good. And what Tyler was really good at, um, was he could play any of those receiving spots. And he was, he was very talented at that. Um, and that's been a difference this year with Rashad, who's not on the team anymore because he opted back out. But um, when Rashad was back on the team, uh, he had to play that slot role a little bit more, which is where Tyler really excelled. Um, and it wasn't, it, he didn't pick it up as naturally as, as Tyler, you know, Tyler's able to kind of move around and be really versatile. And, and Rashad wasn't quite able to do that. He never quite got the timing with, with, uh, with Tanner down on those routes because not to say that either of them was doing something wrong, but sometimes it just takes that chemistry. You got to kind of figure that out. And uh, they didn't really have time to do that this year. And so it never quite clicked. Um, so that's part of it. Um, and I, then I think too, like when you had Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman as two guys, like you could throw them anything and they'll probably catch it uh, or they'll be pretty close to catching it. So that I think helped Tanner out last year was to have those two solid receivers to always be able to go to because you can't double cover both of them at once this year. It's been obvious. Like people are, are, are going to key on Rashad or did key on Rashad when he was on the team. Um, and then that leaves, you know, Chris Ottman Bell, who's a very talented receiver too. And he's had a lot of those long, you know, any of their explosive passing plays that they've basically gone to Chris. He's the one who's, who's caught those. But um, I think it's been hard for the new offensive coordinator to figure out, which is another factor, that it's a new offensive coordinator this year. Because um, he he's wants to recognize Rashad and how what a talented receiver he is and get him the ball, get him 15 targets or whatever a game, or not if not more. But at the same time, defenses know that too. So it was this kind of weird, like, ham-fisted thing where they kept trying to make the Rashad-Tanner connection work even though it really wasn't for whatever reason. And it wasn't until, you know, that Purdue game, really, that I saw them kind of turn around a little bit and realize, oh, we have other receivers. Like, oh, well, let's let's throw it to Kristen Moore. Let's throw it to Mike Brown-Stevens. Let's throw it to Daniel Jackson. Like, they were doing that a little bit better. So it will be interesting, um, this game against Nebraska without Rashad there, to see how the passing game changes, um, if, it, if it, you know, is it going to be good that maybe they that everything's a little more spread out and they're not keying in on one target and you know maybe the defenses don't really know who exactly to cover in that situation because you know usually they just go right to to Bateman maybe um, 
So I think that's interesting. But the only thing I can say about Tanner is, you know, he's got a real knack for proving people wrong. Like when he kind of default got into the starting quarterback gig, because it wasn't really supposed to be his, it was supposed to be Zach Anik's set. And then he got hurt uh, in training camp before last year. Uh, I kind of didn't have really big expectations of him at all. And he totally shattered that last year. So if there's anybody that can kind of turn around a bad situation or, or do something you weren't expecting him to do, it's probably Tanner. You talk about timing and chemistry in the passing game is such a big thing. And them kind of maybe starting to figure out some things in the Purdue game. It, it probably hurts to then have <laughs> two weeks where you can't play and you can't really practice. Um, do, do you expect, like, do you expect this to be a, a high scoring game? I mean, if, if you just look at the two teams, um, Nebraska might be starting to maybe turn a corner on offense. And then with Minnesota in particular, like Ibrahim's one of the best running backs in the conference, if not the country. So if you, if you have a passing game, that's maybe still, um, you know, trending in the right direction, even after the layoff, like this could be, this could be a high scoring game. Couldn't it? I think it could. Um, I mean, the thing it's it's really hard for me to say. Gosh, it's just 2020. It just makes it really hard to do any kind of prognosticating. It's like truly who knows. Um, but I mean, yeah, I would think that if Nebraska's offense is needing, you know, they're they're maybe tricking the corner or whatever. Like this is a good defense to do it against because uh, the Gophers' defense is not great. Um, it's been real, real leaky this year. Um, so yeah, I I wouldn't it would not shock me to see the score run up high that way. I think that, yeah, I think the Gophers defense or Gophers offense has a chance to do that as well, because um, even without Bateson, they still got, I, Chris Montmobile is still a very good receiver. So I think that, you know, people might underestimate him and he might have a big game uh, because of that. And then obviously with, with Mo, you know, he's somebody you can't ignore either. Um, so even if they try to shut down the run, which I think they've been fairly successful at, at least recently, Nebraska has, um, hopefully Chris can kind of pick up that slack and then maybe you'll see that too. But I would I would put my odds more on Nebraska being able to, to score high than I would the Gophers, <laughs> if that makes sense. What do you attribute some of the the defensive problems to? I mean, obviously losing guys like Carter Coughlin and, and Antoine Winfield, the, I mean, those are key spots to lose really good guys at like is it just that the guys that they've lost and that's what's contributing to some of the defensive breakdowns or or kind of what have you seen on that side of the ball it is the guys that they lost but I think it's maybe for reasons that uh, people don't immediately go to so yes they lost like four five six uh guys on that I think the majority of their starters and I think four of them are in the NFL maybe more um so yeah they lost a lot of talent for sure Antoine Minkle Jr. is a hard talent to replace. Um, so that undoubtedly is making an impact. But I think even more than like those individual players and their skills, like I don't think that's just what they're missing. I think they're missing their chemistry. What people didn't realize about that team last year, and even I took it for granted, is your Carter Coughlin, Kamal Martin, Antoine Winfield Jr., Thomas Barber, who's not in the NFL, but he was um, you know, starting Mike Linebacker. Those guys had been roommates and lived together for for four years. And um, actually, Antoine and Carter, and I think maybe even Thomas, knew each other growing up, like when they were kids. So there was an inherent relationship built there and trust and chemistry, so much so that, like, they they knew what, wherever, you know, like, 
if if Carter's the rush end, he knew that, you know, Thomas Barber's behind him at Mike, and then he knew that, uh, you know, behind Thomas is Antoine. So if, like, if I mess up, then Thomas will get me, and if Thomas doesn't, then Antoine will. Like, they had this inherent trust, and they knew exactly where each other was on the field, and they trusted that the other person was going to do their job. Um, and then they also had this great communication because they're friends. So they could easily kind of yell at each other on the field or say, you do this, you do that, or, hey, Ant, did you see this? And then, you know, they would – they would get it all together. And then the rest of the defense, even if it wasn't like, you know, they're good friends or whatever would fall into that because it had this great core group of leadership. And you could even include like your Winston Delatabudairs um, and your Sam Renners on the D line. Those guys are fifth year seniors um, had been playing together for a really long time too. So it's like, there was this great chemistry on that defense. Um, and this year it, yes, it's younger, um, but it also is lacking that, that leadership and that chemistry. There's a lot of guys that don't know each other very well and don't trust each other. And so then everybody tries to do everybody's job instead of just doing their own job. And then these kind of massive breakdowns occur. And yeah, there have certainly been like individual lapses and in certain players that have done things that have messed things up. And I'm also very sure that the coaching staff probably could have done a better job of trying to gel these guys together. But I do give them some empathy for the fact that they didn't have a full spring training and they didn't have a full training camp to really get to know each other and build those relationships because it's hard to do that in a year. Um, but what they really need is somebody on that defense to, to step up and be a leader um, and kind of be that, that drill sergeant on the field. And it hasn't really quite happened yet. And I'm not sure that two weeks away from each other <laughs> with a COVID outbreak is going to help that any. So, you know, we'll see, but it, it's been a, it's been an uphill battle for them. And I, and I feel bad because it's, you know, it's a hard thing to try to, you know, get to know each other and trust each other in a span of a couple months. You found a way to incorporate a, a roommate story uh, into that. And, and I think <laughs> my deputy editor, uh, when she listens to this, hopefully she listens to this, uh, will love that and <laughs> want to be friends with you. Uh, Aaron Sorensen, I think everybody on this beat kind of, when when they hear a roommate story, everybody kind of either looks at Aaron if we're all in the same room or thinks of Aaron because she's like, she loves those stories so much. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully she appreciates that. Aaron, if you're listening, um, let's, let's, so we, we've talked about quarterback, running back, Chris Ottman-Bell at wide receiver. Um, who, who are some kind of, a, of the non-traditional guys that um, maybe, maybe one or two guys that Husker fans need to kind of be aware of or know heading into Saturday because they're either going to see a lot of or hear about them. Well, I think on offense, they should probably be looking at uh, the young receivers behind Chris Ottman Bell, which I think I mentioned them, but like Daniel Jackson and Mike Brown Stevens. Um, those two, Mike Brown Stevens is John Legend's nephew. Fun fact. <laughs> that's my oh. favorite. He probably hates it that that's what he's known for, but that's everything. That's the only thing I can really think of him for. Um, so yeah, John Legend is that's his nephew, and John Legend will comment on his Instagram post. I see it. It's like a really great. I think actually John Legend. This is a tangent, but John Legend came to their game against Fresno State last year when they were at Fresno State, and he like talked to the locker room, and it was all like, oh, John Legend. So anyway. No. They've got the power of John Legend. I'm going to move to to Minnesota and try to cover the Gophers now. I know. We're I bet you all of us on the on the Gophers beat are just like we're we're not really allowed to like talk to freshmen, but like I can't. Wait. He was he was technically he's a he's a sophomore. Well, he's a redshirt freshman now, but um, I can't I can't wait to I, whoever wants to do that first story and wants to try to talk to John Legend. 
<laughs> we're all going to try to do it because that would be sex. But anyways, Mike Brown Stevens, regardless of the fact that he is uh, John Legend's nephew, um, he's been a guy that, you know, okay, so maybe I should start with Daniel Jackson. Daniel Jackson is um, a freshman, true freshman this year. And he's the one who's been starting after Rashad, Chris, and then it's been Daniel as that third starting receiver. Um, and he's been pretty good. I mean, he hasn't he's had like a lot of huge moments, but he's made some good catches. Um, and as somebody I know as a four-star recruit that the coaches are kind of excited about and kind of see him as being like, could be the next Rashad Bateman or Tyler Johnson level receiver. So he's somebody that, that could have a big game now that he's maybe going to get a couple more targets without Rashad there. Mike Brown Stevens, I think is probably going to slot into that number three receiver because he's been kind of the first receiver off the bench. Um, when they kind of need uh, uh, some rotation. So, um, you know, he, he's had a couple of good catches. It's kind of, again, he's, his, his moments have been kind of few and far between, but he's somebody that's kind of exciting. I think it's possible like a Seth Green, who's their wildcat quarterback. He could maybe get a couple more reps at receiver. I honestly, they've even had Clay Geary who used to be a walk-on, um, but he got a scholarship last year. Like he even got in the game for a bit. So they've been really spreading that out. Um, so there's a lot of guys that you could probably look at there and see that might have a good game. But I think, you know, Daniel Jackson is probably a good name or Mike Brown Stevens solely because he's John Legend's nephew. Um, and then on defense, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see what kind of impacts the COVID-19 situation makes. I mean, Boye Mafe, um, who missed that Purdue game, and I, he might be back uh, for this game. You know, he's always somebody that I've, I've thought um, has a lot more talent than he's shown. And he does have like the, the, the few and far between uh, forced fumbles and, and things, interceptions and things like that, or interception tips. Um, he's had a lot of those impact plays, even though there haven't been that many this year. So um, he's somebody that I've always thought, you know, he didn't start at the beginning of the year for whatever reason. And it kind of seems to me like the coaches feel like he can do more and he's not really living up to his potential, but um, he's somebody I think that's got a super high feeling. And so um I would be interested to see if he comes back, you know, if he kind of is raring to go after the, the, the three-game break that, that he had. Do you have a, a prediction for this game? Man, I don't. Not yet. <laughs> I was honestly, <laughs> like, I'm about to, I'm about to do that. Uh, I have to do that every week, and it's like the bait of my existence. But isn't Nebraska <laughs> favored by, like, two touchdowns or something? I think the line opened at 14, I think. Oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't shock me. I look at those things on Monday, and then I never look at them again. I know, right? So I don't know. If, if I had to pull something just off the top of my head, I would probably say, like, I would give it, like, Nebraska 38 Gophers 24. <laughs> don't hold me to that. I might change it unless I do some more research. Okay. Interesting. Well, uh, you've got you've got stuff you got to do, it sounds like, so I'll let you get to it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and... – uh, given some some gopher knowledge and and telling me that I need to uh, spend more time covering Minnesota football so that I might be able to talk to John Legend. <laughs> yes, it's everyone's dream. <laughs> <laughs> Meg, we will um, we'll try to get you back on the podcast next year. So thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. Awesome, thanks for having me. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, keep reading hailvarsity.com. Keep listening to the Hailvarsity Radio Show with Chris Schmidt. Keep listening to all the other Hail Varsity podcast offerings brought to you by the Herd App Media Network. Uh, subscribe to all of my friends' podcasts. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.